Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Good morning, everyone. Turn with me in your Bibles now to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 31 today. We are going through verse by verse through the book of John. Last week, we looked at the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, where we saw that the Savior needed to go into Samaria. Interesting choice of words. He needed it. He needed to go there because he had an appointment, a meeting with a lady who needed to be restored and forgiven. And he went on the command of his father, we'll learn later. And we saw how Jesus used a casual conversation to turn her from her sin and towards her Savior. The well-known 19th century pastor C.H. Spurgeon told the following story about King Cyrus, the man who conquered Babylon and then uh, freed the Jews and let them return to Israel and to Jerusalem. He said, and I quote, a visitor who was admiring King Cyrus's gardens said it gave him much pleasure. Ah, said Cyrus, but you have not so much pleasure in this garden as I have, for I have planted every tree in it myself. Spurgeon went on to say, one reason some saints will have a greater fullness of heaven than others will be that they did more for heaven than others. By God's grace, they were enabled to bring more souls with them. End of quote. Those words should cause all of us that know the Lord to do some serious soul searching. How many people will be in heaven because of us, because of you? Our desire should be that when we reach our eternal home, some of the folks there will perhaps run up to us and say, I'm so thankful for you. It was your testimony. It was your life, your invitation to accept Christ that drew me to Jesus as I watched how you lived out your faith. So do all you can to bring the gospel to the lost That's how we can lay up treasure ahead in heaven. Last week, we saw the first uh, of three people that are lost in this chapter. We saw the Samaritan woman, of course, at the well. This week, we'll look at the final two. One is a group. It's the disciples themselves as they're uh, slowly uh, taking the walk of faith. And then we'll look at a nobleman. If you've had the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ and then mentor them and disciple them, you understand what I'm talking about. When you see them, there's such a joy. There's such a close relationship there when you lead someone to Christ and and you just pour out the word on them and you get to see them and watch them grow. There's a great joy. The glory and joy of heaven will be the greatest for those who have helped lead others to Jesus and into heaven. Clearly, Jesus got to harvest What someone else had planted and watered in the Samaritan city, they had a little bit of knowledge about the coming Messiah. The woman already had a basic concept of of him coming, 
Jesus led her across the finish line, and at the end of their conversation, she couldn't wait to go tell the story to her neighbors, perhaps the first missionary that we read about here. And off she went. In fact, in such a hurry and with such excitement that she forgot the reason she even was at the well. She leaves behind her water pot. She's so excited when Jesus says, I am he who you speak of. She's talking about the Messiah that would come one day. Jesus says, I am he. And she goes, whoa. That's Greek for I'm excited. And and she ran off, leaving the water pot right there. She's going to go tell all her friends back in town, back in Sychar. Now, the disciples arrive on scene. Now, they had been to Sychar. And, and they were going there to get some food so that they could have some meals here. They had run out of food, and they were very hungry, had a long hike up to Sychar. And so they went into Sychar to buy food. And while they were gone, Jesus has this meeting with this woman who he's, uh, by the law, by Jewish custom, is not even supposed to be talking to uh, or anywhere near her. And yet he goes in and talks with her, sits down and shares um, the story of salvation with her. And right then, she finds out he's the Messiah, and at the same time, the boys arrive back with food. Let's pick up in our story now in verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is talking metaphorically. He's talking spiritually here about the food that is most important. Men are quirky. Oh, women are quirky too. But men are just a different kind of quirky. How quirky are we? Well, guys, they make up words about our quirkiness. I think women do. One of my favorites is the word hangry. Hangry is being so hungry that you're starting to get angry. Uh, We're so controlled by food. And you women recognize when this happens before we even do. Two things that immediately drew me to Debbie, and um, first of all, she prays like Jesus is standing right there in person in the room, and that just amazed me the first time we prayed together. And then she always has food with her. (laughs) The morning we left for our Hawaiian honeymoon, we had to rush out of our hotel, and We thought we could get breakfast, but it wasn't open that early, and so uh, we just headed for the plane. No time to eat breakfast, and that's a problem for me. I'm thinking, I won't be able to eat now for six hours on this plane. Now, the plane had just gotten airborne when my new bride turned to me, and she said some of the most romantic words she's ever said in our time together. She said, I brought you a, p- a picnic. I'm not kidding you. She, it was great. It's like she was reading my mind. She reached into what I now call the bag of wonders. <laughs> she carries it on her shoulder. I call it a purse, but now I understand it's a bag of wonders. 
She's got everything in there. I think she might have parts for my 41 Chevy in there. I don't know. But whenever I ask for something, she has it. She just whips it out and goes, here you go. And right on cue, she pulls out this brand muffin, the most beautiful muffin I'd ever seen in my life. And she begins to open it. And then the flight attendant asks me, would you like a cup of coffee, sir? I wept. <laughs> coffee and a bran muffin. And we're going to Hawaii. Wow. I knew right then I'd married up. <laughs> Sometimes the flesh sneaks up on me. But she's always the first to catch it. My point is this, the things of this world will tug at us and they will distract us from carrying out our God-given mission. We have to resist the flesh, Scripture tells us. Do you remember that last week we read the verse that said Jesus needed to go through Samaria? He needed to go, obviously, for, to take the gospel to this woman that he shares uh, uh, the gospel with at the well, but Jesus also needed to go there for his disciples. He needed to show them uh, kind of a, a picture of what he was doing and what was most important in their lives, doing the will of the Heavenly Father, whether we feel like it or not. In essence, doing the will of the Father is soul food, and we need to nourish our souls while blessing God and others at the same time. Pastor Philip Brooks, who lived in the mid-1800s, wrote this sentence, and I think it's brilliant. He said, seek your life's nourishment in your life's work. What God has called you to do, whatever it is, whether you're a carpenter, whether you're a salesman, whether you're a businessman, whether you're a grandpa or a grandma or a father or a friend or a neighbor, whatever you find is your life passion Find your nourishment in that. Take the gospel to your office. Take the gospel across the street. Take the gospel to your grandchildren. Seek your life's nourishment in your life's work. Serving the Lord where he's called you to work ought to spiritually nourish you and satisfy your soul like nothing else. The older I get, the closer to meeting my Savior's face-to-face uh, -face that I get, as I see the great day of the Lord's return getting closer, and boy, I, I just feel like we are on, the, we have our toes on the finish line. It makes me want to echo the cry, just give me souls for my wages. That's all I want. I, I, I don't need a new car. I don't need a new house. I don't need more money. Just give me, God, just give me souls for my wages. Pay me in souls getting to lead people to Christ, that'll be enough. Pay me in the heavenly currency and set it aside for my eternal bank account until I arrive. Just give me souls for my wages. Jesus now changes the metaphor from food, he's been talking about food, to the harvest, and of course the harvest is the source of the food. The disciples went into the spiritual harvest of Sychar, just as this woman had, she turns and, and runs off to go into Sychar. The disciples had just been there. They're coming back. Two different things happen. One, the woman is, talking, is going to go take 
get spiritual food to these people. The disciples were sent into Sychar, but they're just there for physical food, actual food. They totally missed the point here. You see, it's not about physical food, which is here and gone. Jesus was telling them, and he's about to show them, that it will always be about the harvest of souls for the Heavenly Father. Verse 35, he turns to them and he says, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? That was a common phrase in their society. Jesus is saying, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Here come all the Sychar people from town. They're coming out. Isn't it interesting? The disciples could have led them to Christ. They go get food and come back without souls. They miss the whole point. This woman goes in and tells them, hey, let me take you to someone who's told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And they all come out. They were ripe. And the disciples totally missed it. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Don't forget that sometimes, many times, you're just a seed sower. So many times we want to close the deal. I find myself doing that. I just want the person to, to, to go all the way across to faith. I want to I bring him in right now. But the Holy Spirit's saying, calm down, Harris. I got this. You're not going to harvest today, but you're going to plant seeds. Or maybe it's, it's, it's my time to do the watering. You watch around here how they use the water in the fields, in the canals, out of the canals. And they water regularly. We may be a waterer one day. But then sometimes on those rare occasions, we do get to harvest be a part of the harvest, and lead them across into faith. The Holy Spirit does that. He chooses when that happens. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Every wise farmer knows that the seed you plant today will not produce a crop for many months to come. In between, there is a time of watering and and, and maintenance, and just time has to go by. The day of the harvest begins long before the time when the plants yield their fruit. Your reward is not only what you get today from the harvest, it's from what you did along the way to water and to care for those souls. As they approached Sychar, I bet the disciples had already counted these Samaritans out. You remember from last week, they didn't like each other. And that's putting it lightly. There was a hatred for each other. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They called them half-breeds because they had not been faithful in, uh, when they were uh, held in captivity. They had intermingled in marriage, and the, and the rest of the Jews rejected them. That's why they didn't like them. And then, of course, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews because the Jews now were pointing the finger at them and saying, shame on you. You can't come to Jerusalem and worship anymore. So they had a hatred for each other. So I ask this question of myself, and I ask it of you today. Who have you counted out already? They won't receive the gospel. I'm not even going to talk to them. Or I've talked to my, my sister so many times. She's never going to come to Christ. I'll just give up. Stop praying for them. Stop talking to them. How many people in your life have you done that to? I'm guilty. 
I'm telling you, as your pastor, there are people I have given up on. But this weekend, I decided I'm not going to do that. I need to ask forgiveness from God for a lack of faith. And then I need to start praying for them again. And I need to start living in their life and showing, their, showing them God's love for them. Don't give up on people. Keep watering the crops with the way that you live your life and serve them and love them. Show them this is what Jesus would do. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Now, the testimony of women, it was their society, was pretty low. They had to have two or three witnesses to confirm a woman's testimony. Yet she goes right in, and they believe the word of this woman because of her testimony, and this was it. He told me all the things I ever did. These people would have known some of the things that she'd done. Jesus had, had called her out and said, you've been... You're, you, Speak rightly. You've been married five times, and the one person you're living with isn't your husband. They had to know that as well. Listen, though, your testimony is more powerful than you may think. Use it to share God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his grace in your life to someone who's where you were. Your testimony is powerful. Continuing on in verse 40, so when the Samaritans had come to him, Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. This was unusual. Jesus was always on the move, but he goes, you know what? These people are so hungry. They have so many questions. There's people that need to be healed here. Yeah, I'll stay a couple of days. And many more believed because of his word. Verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Notice the contrast here. The Jewish religious leaders, men who were seminary trained and knowledgeable in the Scriptures, they rejected the Messiah and criticized him openly. In just a, a few chapters here, we're going to see that they start looking to kill him. Well, these no good and rejected Samaritans, these dogs as they called them, who had little truth, received the good news and invited the Savior to stay in their village longer. What a great picture of how and why we share our faith, no matter what the person looks like. No matter if they look like they're total living out rebellion in their life, that's a good time to share Christ. Verse 43 now, after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Jesus was officially uh, Judean, he, uh, obviously from Bethlehem is where his birth took place, to be exact. But the people there, their hearts were not genuinely turned to him. They wanted to follow him because they wanted to see the circus. What will he do tomorrow? What, what, what miracle will he do? That's what they wanted. They didn't want him, and he knew it. They knew that their belief did not honor him, and so he left. Verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. 
So Jesus came down to Canaan of Galilee where he had made the water into wine. You remember a few weeks ago, we saw him go to the wedding and he turned water into wine when they ran out. He's back in town again. We're not told why he goes back to Cana. And there was a certain nobleman. A nobleman in the Greek is a word for government official. There was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, if you remember, Capernaum, Cana, is up in the hill country of central Israel. And it's a 20-mile walk, a hike, down to Capernaum, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. It's a tough hike. It's a tough walk. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, this nobleman went up to him, and he implored him, he implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Notice that Jesus' first miracle was at the request of his mother, who had asked him to help. And he, she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. A mother requested that. Here, though, we see a request by a, a distraught father. The passionate love of this dad for his son is obvious. You can't miss it. The word for implore in the Greek means to ask for something repeatedly over and over, and you're not going to take no for an answer. This nobleman wasn't leaving until Jesus came with him. He's imploring him to come with him. Verse 48, then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, Jesus isn't condemning this man. He's merely lamenting that these people need to see him perform miracles in order to believe Later on, after the resurrection, Thomas would doubt Jesus, that he, had, he was raised from the dead. He would doubt. And he would say, unless I, see the, unless I see the palms of his hands, unless I see the wound in his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus comes to him, shows him the wounds, and Thomas falls at his feet and just cries. But then notice what Jesus says immediately after this about Thomas and about you and I sitting in this room. He said, blessed are those who will believe and have not seen me, that have the faith, that have read the word, that have opened their eyes and had the Holy Spirit call, and they answered, yes, I believe. Still, this father's faith is growing beyond most in Israel Verse 49, the nobleman said to him, said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Can you hear the heartbreak of this father as he pleads for his son's life? He's reached the end of his rope. He's at the bottom of his pit. This is the worst imagination uh, thing in his imagination he could ever dream. My child lies on a bed and he will die if you don't come with me. This is a good place in one's life to meet the Savior. When you can't do any more in your life, when you've tried to, to fix whatever it is that your life challenge is right now that might be keeping you from the Lord, this is a good time to run to him because Jesus is the answer to our problems. He's about to have his faith both broadened 
and deepened here. But first, he must get over two fallacies. First, he believes that Jesus must be present in order to heal his son. Lord, come with me now. He, he believes that Jesus needs to be. See, he either saw Jesus heal people in Jerusalem or he heard about this. And what he probably saw or kept hearing was that Jesus is putting his hands on people and they're being healed. So his, you can't blame him for his, his plea to come with me. But Jesus is going to show him, I'm not, I'm not confined by space. Second, he believes that if the boy dies, Jesus can't help any further. you got to come with me now before he dies. But of course, both are wrong thinking. We'll see later on that Jesus raises a child from the dead. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. I underlied, believed and went in my Bible, because that's a picture of faith. The father has approximately a 10-hour walk to get home. That's if he doesn't stop for anything, and he keeps going very quickly down this mountainside. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.